Hey, what's up? I'm Jared Mursky, CEO and founder of Wick and Mortar, the world's largest cannabis-focused branding and marketing firm. I can't tell you how excited I am to be speaking at the Professionally Cannabis Podcast. And more importantly, I look forward to sharing all of my insights, tips, and tricks with you, so long as John asks me the right questions. Where do they go? The smoke rings I blow each night. Oh, what Today we welcome to the pod Jared Mursky, founder and CEO of Wick and Mortar, one of the first cannabis-specific marketing agencies incepted at the beginning of the industry's boom. Having worked with household cannabis brands for the best part of a decade, Jared will give us an insight into what makes a captivating campaign in 2021, how to distinguish your brand from competitors, and what and how leading brands are innovating digitally in the age of COVID. With all this in mind, I'd like to say, Jared, welcome to the Professionally Cannabis Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very grateful to be on your show. Great. And as a fan of the show, I'm sure you'll know what we're going to ask you. What led you to the plant? Well, to be honest, um, you know, when I was younger, I think I was probably about 19 or so at the time, uh, you know, I had my first opportunity to help a buddy with a grow. And, uh, you know, it was an illicit grow at the time. Obviously, cannabis wasn't uh, at all legal then, but uh, it put my foot in the door uh, into, you know, the dispensary arena. And, you know, at the time, cannabis brands didn't really exist. It was just dispensaries, you know, with crosses, you know, on their front door. And they all really looked and sounded the same. And, you know, in 2008 or so was really when I thought to myself, well, shoot, this could be an industry I could really help. And given the fact that, you know, I was a designer and I had already had an agency, um, which was really just focused on medium sized businesses at the time, you know, I knew that I could take my skill sets and talent and put them towards something that I was actually passionate about. So that's when I got into the cannabis industry it was about 2008, 2009. And and that was when I, um, you know, started my my first company, uh, which was actually before it was called Wick and Mortar. It was actually called Online Marijuana Design. But yeah, and then we rebranded, you know, six years later, and uh, just booming ever since. And with that booming, what are the types of projects that are coming up perhaps now that didn't before? Has the boom changed over the past twelve years? Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, you know, a majority of our business, you know, is a variety now of. Uh, the combination between, you know, ancillary businesses, um, technology companies, and, the, and then the obvious, you know, cultivation and retail. Um, so we've had the honor and pleasure of, you know, doing stuff from, you know, laser bongs to, you know, um, CPG brands. Uh, it's been a really, really interesting, you know, change and pivot, but, you know, it's given us the opportunity to really expand our network and knowledge into a myriad of uh you know, focal points, you know, not just within specific communities that we sell products into now, but, you know, um, really understanding the dynamic landscape of, you know, marketing and, and digital advertising uh, today, because as you know, the cannabis industry is changing rapidly on a state level. And and with regards to the, the digital aspect of it that, that you touched on before, you know, we all know that marketing cannabis and cannabis brands is is different to to other sort of consumer product areas namely because of regulatory restrictions things that you can and cannot say or on social media how do you how do you navigate this with with clients of yours who who are looking to promote their brands in often quite 
competitive markets and landscape. You know, wh- what type of initiatives digitally are you seeing that are working really well for, for brands in today's market? That's a great question. Um, you know, there are ultimately a variety of, uh, you know, approaches you can take. But at the end of the day, you know, being organized and understanding that, you know, what wins the day is an omnipresence and more importantly, uh, a brand that is focused on a niche. Um, one of the things that, you know, we're interfaced with on a regular basis uh, when it comes to, you know, approaching various marketing strategies or implementing them ourselves is, you know, brands come to us with very little nicheness, so to speak. You know, they they have this very generic product that, you know, caters to, to everyone. And so there's, you know, um, very little insight into the demographical focus. And so, you know, oftentimes when we start to investigate, you know, how are we going to market this company? What are we going to do to make them successful? We have to start with the foundation first and really understand, well, what is it that makes them unique? And how do we prevent this brand or product from eventually becoming, you know, a a commodity, right? What is this proprietary formulation or um, genetic that perhaps you have that no one else does? So we really look deeper into, you know, the actual intention of the business so that we can understand how to navigate and narrate the messaging and tone of voice that people are often attracted to. So once we've really had the opportunity to uncover, you know, really the gold, you know, we start to develop an omnipresence by introducing a myriad, as I mentioned, of marketing, you know, uh, uh, disciplines from, you know, SEO, content writing, email marketing, text message marketing, um, depending on whether you're a CBD company or a THC company, you'll pay-per-click advertising through Facebook, which can be very, very limited and um, difficult unless you know how to do it. But nonetheless, there are a ton of, you know, creative solutions that brands can, um, you know, take with respect to uh, amplifying uh, their brand outside of, you know, what I would call, you know, your your generic SEO tactics, you know, your generic, um, you know, marketing tools. Um, you know, then we get into, you know, influencer marketing and micro influencers and you know, how do we find the right in- micro influencers to, you know, to make sure that they actually help can create conversion with my brand. As we go from, you know, campaign to campaign, there's obviously, you know, now full scale campaigns that live outside of the, you know, daily task uh, marketing stuff. So we've got, you know, just as an example, you know, I wanted to create a campaign for, you know, a client of ours called Goldkind. And so what we did was um, we put together like this, this whole Letterman jacket concept. And the Letterman jackets, there's three different ones. There's a Letterman jacket that's for the executives, one for the staff, and then one for bud tenders. And so what we've now been doing is developing this entire internal course that bud tenders and staff can take to earn more patches for their Letterman jacket. And so what we've done is we've created and gamified company culture, but also a loyalty program that basically, you know, uplifts these bud tenders and brings them into the fold. Because at the end of the day, if we can help bud tenders become more informed and educated based on the education, you know, the brand is providing, well, then you've been able to create a great marriage between the two people, the company and the the bud tender. Um, And same goes for staff. So, you know, anytime you're, you know, winning these badges because you've accomplished a new lesson or you've learned this or that, well, that's just elevating you within the company as is the company in association with these bud tenders. What's beautiful about bud tenders is fortunately and unfortunately, there's a high, there's a high turnover rate. So when one bud tender leaves a dispensary and goes to another, well, they're going to be taking that jacket with them. So we look for things outside of the norm and the obvious to introduce into brands to make it 
so is that there's a little bit more texture <laughs> behind the motive and emotion of a company outside of just what everyone else is doing. Uh, I mean, there's all sorts of really interesting, you know, ideas that come about from, you know, augmented reality packaging, QR codes on the back for digital downloads. I mean, there's so many different things that can be done outside of what others are just doing to get by. One of the things that we saw in Europe, and particularly in the UK over 2019, was a number of big brand uh, activations sort of launching their, their products in Europe. And these, you know, these activations were very good for picking up press. And of course, uh, you, mm. you know, they, they came with a price tag as well. Now, seeing as everything has pivoted even more to digital over the last year or so, do you see brands going back to doing as many physical live in-person activations as previously there, there may have been before the pandemic? Is, is oh, the yeah. ROI I mean, there? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, one of my, my so my um, uh, director of operations, uh, James Zahadni, he's uh, one of the co-founders of Dope Magazine. And um, before he sold Dope to High Times, uh, you know, he was you know, chief editor there, co-founder, and he was the one that put on all the dope cups, dope awards, dope events. And so, you know, after he left, you know, he joined Wick and Mortar and, and started another company as well called Fairchild Events. And what happened ultimately, you know, in this, you know, uh, this whole shuffle, if you will, you know, digital events became more uh, prevalent. We had to create, uh, you know, digital opportunities for people to connect. Um, when you think about, you know, how fast the industry has grown, you know, over the last couple of years, it's definitely grown a lot this year, but in a, in completely different ways. You know, a lot of deals were being done, um, you know, in 2019, just before 2020, uh, a lot of acquisitions, and, and it made it easier for brands to expand into a much larger landscape because they had the ability to go travel and they had the ability, I mean, we still do, but travel was just a lot easier and with less concern. And so, you know, making it you know, it, thus it's made it more difficult to just, uh, uh, you know, connect with people face to face. Um, and I think that's really where a lot of big business comes, you know, like we chatted earlier, the industry is shifting, you know, before our eyes and, you know, people are just trying to do the best they can to, you know, um, participate where they can. And, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have, you know, been in the industry for gosh, 13 years now where, you know, I don't actually have to travel anywhere anymore. I can just pick up a phone and call the right person. But, you know, that's not the case for most people who are just getting into the industry when, you know, there's no conferences that really exist for people to go to much. Uh, and that was the best place for people to connect and meet. Um, you know, now we've got things like Clubhouse and, you know, Discord and you know other social media platforms that are kind of bringing people together. Um, but even still, you know, I think once the you know, once every, everyone gets vaccinated and, and everything is, um, you know, moving forward again, I think, uh, you know, conferences are going to come back in full force and they're going to be bigger and better than ever before. So on that point, and, and something you mentioned before we started recording, is you like to prognosticate somewhat and, and forecast future trends. So what do you think is going to happen this summer when we're all out and about and COVID's vanquished? You know, people are going to be a lot happier to see one another. Um, people are going to be far more inspired to... Uh, collaborate. I think this year, if it, if I could predict anything, this year is going to be the year of collaborations. I think businesses are going to start to wise up and understand that 
so you can create more business and minimize your marketing costs and expenses by just collaborating with more people. You know, I, I look at this um, as an opportunity for brands who have had, you know, difficulty, you know, growing because they own a facility and their marketing expenses are reduced because of the burden they have with respect to the cost associated with it, right? So what do companies do when they're in startup mode or they have minimal capital to market like all of the other big boys or big girls, right? You know, if you're a flower brand, go find a, a really good high quality concentrate brand and do a collaboration with them. You know, have them take their concentrate and infuse it in your joints. Because if you don't do concentrates, they're not a competitor. Leverage their likeness, leverage their database, leverage their customers, and bring them into the fold and do the same for them. It's a win-win. And so, you know, just looking at this from, uh, you know, again, a, a cannabis brand pers uh, perspective, there's just so much room to create growth without being greedy while bringing others into the fold, if that makes sense. I wonder if there's many things like cannabis where you can have a concentrates brand and a flower brand that are so sort of close in category, but still not direct competitors. Yeah, I mean, when you, at the end of the day, like we could talk for hours going back and forth on, you know, op ideas and what ifs and, but really, you know, collaborating with other people, you know, in the, in the end is always a great way to build a relationship. And I think if you, you know, are a respectful person and business and you, you know, you have good core values, you understand the landscape of the industry and, you know, your effort is not to, you know, take, but to give, you know, I look at, you know, all of these mutually beneficial opportunities as a solution towards, you know, bringing in less expensive, you know, marketing. And again, expanding your brand into, you know, a customer base that you don't own. You know, when I look at other types of collaborations that will start to exist, you know, you're going to see, I don't know if you're familiar with like um, the Ka toy uh, uprise, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of these collector toys, right? And and the millennial market is really heavily focused on this art asset, no different than like, you know, your NFTs. And so when you're looking at, you know, these types of, you know, opportunities and, you know, you're thinking about, okay, well, what can I do with my cannabis brand? Well, maybe uh, there's a person who, if they're connected with the Ka guy, could go reach out to them and... So there's all of these people out there that have all of these really successful brands that have no entry point into the cannabis industry. And so if you look at, you know, a, a trending market and you look at a business that's doing really well, that fits within the same niche demographic or genre of your customer focus, well, that might be a great potential partner to obtain in an effort to leverage their likeness while giving them a position in the cannabis industry, which they don't currently have. There's a lot of people out there that are looking for ways to break into the industry and for all intensive purposes, have very successful businesses. But if we can create an opportunity to give them something in exchange for something where there's a collaboration at play, well, then that makes for a great uh, that makes for a great marriage, that makes for a great partnership. So again, when I think of collaborations, you know, I don't just look at you know very basic ones as it relates to products and how they collab with you know other brands that sell similar products, but you know, athletes, artists, you know, musicians, and and, and doing this in a meaningful way, you know, not slapping the the celebrity's name on it and calling it a day but rather you know building a product within a community so when we look at again collaborations there are just a, a myriad and a variety of ways that you can collaborate with others in order to elevate you know your brand or what will become your brand and as someone that's incredibly plugged into the industry working with clients with diverse backgrounds and sectors across the industry what 
What do you think are the consumer product categories that are really primed to to blow up over the next six to to eighteen months, uh, especially as the the world comes you know back online, everything goes face to face and analog again, and perhaps as an extension of that. Are there any product categories that you're seeing in the industry right now that you think that almost the industry and consumers aren't ready for, but in years to come will be absolutely killer categories as far as, uh, you know, huge scalable businesses go? Well, you know, ultimately, it really just depends on, you know, what your product differentiator is. You know, when you look at you know, what, what are my differentiating value propositions when it relates, when it, when it comes to my brand? I mean, I think, I think again, if we start thinking less generic and more like Dollar Shave Club and less like, let's try to be the Gillette Chicken Brawn, we'll start to be, we'll start to start, we will start to see more brands stand out and really take control over that niche, um, that nicheness that they're after. Still, brother, I'm telling you, there's just, it, it is really in its infancy. And that's honestly one of the reasons why I decided that I was going to start launching a lot of my own brands and products outside of just working with clients, because quite frankly, there's just still so much room for growth. I mean, you look at the beverage market, it's huge. Um, I mean, just in the and UK. Is, is that alone, where you've launched brands? Um, I've been launching brands in a variety of categories from oral care to pet products to equestrian to... I mean, we've got stuff with, you know, we have a THC edible with a 15 second onset, you know, so this is an edible that kicks in in like 15 to 20 seconds. So we're really looking at unique proprietary formulations that serve unique intentions. I mean, if you can take an edible and it kicks in in 15 to 20 seconds, well, you know, you're not going to have to take another one. And if you hadn't felt it in 30 to 45 minutes, which yeah. is the gen, you know, so, and then we've got, you know, then we've got a, a, uh, a company we invested in called Harvest Direct Enterprises, who owns a, they own a technology called Lacey. And this thing, it creates what's called lossless activation. So if you know much about smoking weed, which I'm sure you do, because we're on a cannabis podcast, um, when you smoke cannabis, you're burning it. And that's called decarboxylation. And so when you're decarbing cannabis, you're actually burning, you know, 70 to 80% of the plant's modality. But when you burn cannabis, um, which is, you know, how you smoke weed, um, you know, nonetheless, you're never going to obtain 100% of the plant's medicinal modalities. So uh, this technology that was created actually extracts uh, the whole part of the plant and maintains, you know, 98 to 100% of the plants, uh, uh, keeps the plant intact as it goes through the entire uh, process. So they cause this lossless activation. And so for the first time, you can actually take a product that has 98 to 100% of the plant's full modality without any disruption. And that's done through, you know, a capsule. And so when you look at these products now for the first time, we have a technology that physicians could actually use to make recommendations to patients because they can be so accurate and specific about the cannabinoids and terpene profiles in that particular strain. So we look at really creative solutions like this that outside of a sexy brand and cool packaging position us with a stake in the industry that allows us to maintain consistency in price point. If you have a product that everyone else can make, is it something that you see as being a valuable, sustainable business in the future? Maybe not. You know, weed once sold itself. And, you know, given the fact that I've been in this industry for, you know, over 13 years now and have been involved in every single state as it went from, you know, illicit to medical to recreational, I've seen a lot of shit. And, you know, I got to tell you, 
um, there's still a lot of growth. And, and again, this industry is still very much in its infancy stage. How feasible and how possible do you think it is for consumer brands to sort of cross that barrier from recreational slash wellness to the sort of wellness slash medical market so that a product such as the, the one you mentioned with a really quick onset, et cetera, et cetera, would be able to sort of move from the sort of uh, over-the-counter market through to something that operates more in the medical market. Right. Well, what we're talking about is, you know, um, taking a formulation and repurposing it for a variety of other products, which is, you know, I guess if you look at like the Hershey's model, you know, Hershey's chocolate is made in, well, Hershey's bars, Hershey's kisses, but it's also made in all of their other products, right? Almond Joy, Kit Kat, and Reese's, and it's made with Hershey's chocolate. So what they're doing now is they're increasing the brand equity, uh, the value of the brand equity, but they're also increasing the value of the formulation, of the IP of the formulation. And so as an example with like this, you know, 15 second onset, we look at that as, you know, a, a cross product um, a formula where, you know, this works just as well for horses as it does for humans. And so we'll have, you know, different potency levels for our equestrian brand than we might have for, you know, our, our human brand, right? And the same formulation can be put in toothpaste, right? It can be put in mouthwash. And so what we're looking at now is a formula that we can repurpose into a variety of brands that um, it serves. Um, because of the formulation type. So when we're looking at, you know, uncovering, you know, ultimately these, these, uh, you know, niche markets, you know, we're looking at, you know, what other CPG companies are doing, and finding ways to align the brands we create with their existing core values, so that hopefully, um, you know, this brand gets in front of their eyes. And, you know, this becomes a potential future acquisition. So you're looking for an exit that's an acquisition? That's right. That's right. And I think right. I mean, isn't that what isn't that what everyone's looking for <laughs> at some point? <laughs> well, I mean, there's also floating, of course, you could take the company public, but maybe that's harder in a, a non-federally legal uh, business. I think, I well, think prob- you can, but you can't touch the plant, you know, so you actually bring up an interesting point, And you know, this is something I definitely wanted to talk about. And that was that, you know, a lot of companies that come to market think that they need a grow operation in order to be in the business, right? Uh, well, you don't. You can build a brand and you can spend all that hard-earned money or investment capital on just marketing it and actually licensing that brand to other licensees. So as in, you know, you build a brand and you license that brand to other cultivators in various different states. Now you have a brand in multiple states much faster than most because of the fact that they're all hindered by the expense and burden of a facility, depending on how well or not well you're doing. But oftentimes it makes it hard for... Um, you know, these businesses and brands to scale into other states because they're so encapsulated in what they're doing in the state that they're currently active in. So just something to think about, given the fact that most companies come into the industry or most people come into the industry thinking they need to get a license when that's not really the case. That is an interesting perspective on it. And I think that's all we've got time for today. So I just want to thank you once again for joining us on the podcast, Jared. You've been a I really guest. appreciate you having me, man. This is a, this is a great, great podcast. And uh, yeah, some really good questions. Please take me above. Take me with you.